uh, Yosef Vidal Calodas is a PhD candidate in Romance Languages at the University of Oregon. She earned MA at the U of O in 2008 and has an MA in Education at Pontificia Universidad Católica de Chile in 2004 and a BA in Linguistics and Literature in the Universidad de Chile in 2003. Joseph's research interests include Latin American literature, aesthetics and politics, cartoons and political humor and creative writing. Her scholarship has been published in numerous peer-reviewed journals and edited volumes. In addition, she's published two volumes of short stories and a novel, which was published in 2022. As a 2022-23 OHC dissertation fellow, Jifsa has been working on her dissertation title, Mem 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 Memories, Memories, sorry. Memories of Betrayal and Betrayal of Memory, Narratives of Defeat in Chile and Argentina, and she'll share her work in progress with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you, all of you, for coming to this presentation. I hope it will be clear and, and it is not going to be too heavy and dark. <laughs> I just wanted to mention that I brought the books that I'm working with, so you can take a look. It is always good to know, to have the physical texts, so because there are connections also with the way that they were published and the history of the texts, so if you want to. So, I'll start. Uh, in my dissertation project, Memories of Betrayal and Betrayal of Memory, Narratives of Defeat in Chile and Argentina, I argue that representations of betrayal as a result of torture and suffering allow us to critique a patriarchal and epic vision of the traumatic past in the global south. My research questions the current cultural boom on fictional and non-fictional works on the politics of memory, characterized by a Manichaean rhetoric of heroes versus enemies, heroes versus traitors. In fictional and non-fictional texts produced during or immediately after the violent experience of the Chilean and Argentinian dictatorships, I analyze how condemnation leads the protagonists to have a particular relationship with memory and history. I examine betrayal in three different genres. So the texts that you have there uh, first chapter uh, is uh, entitled The Ontology of Betrayal, works on Marcia Merino's testimony and Carmen Castillo's documentary on Marcia Merino. That the testimony is there and it is it has not been republished after that first edition. As as you can see, it is really poor and it is kind of a metaphor of her own body it is fragmented, it is broken. And that is from 19, uh, 1993. The epistemology of betrayal, my second chapter, focuses on graphic novel Perramus, that is that one, uh, from Juan Sasturain and Alberto Brecchia. That's, of course, a re-edition. First one was published in uh, magazines, so it, it was like a... Uh, week to week, but then it uh, it has three volumes. I center my research on this first one that has two of the main books. So it is four books, three volumes. And that one, it is the first, and I focus there because um, the topic of betrayal, it is mainly uh, work in that two first volumes. And uh, the epistemology of betrayal, I, I say that uh, dialectic of betrayal uh, examines Enrique Lin's play uh, Dialogos de Desaparecidos, Dialogues of the Disappeared. So in what follows, I will give a brief introduction of the two first chapters, and then I will take more time to go in depth with the third. Mm -hmm. First chapter... Uh, so this is the, the, that's the first chapter. Marcia Merino, known as La Flaca Alejandra, Skinny Alejandra, is widely known in, in Chile as a traitor. Merino was part of the Central Committee of the MIR, 
leftist revolutionary movement until her detention during the coup d'etat in September of 1973. After her detention, she was brutally tortured and raped by the state until she joined forces with her victimizers. 20 years later, in 1993, three years after their return to democracy, she published her testimony, Mi Verdad, My Truth. In 1994, a year later in France, director Carmen Castillo released in the, released in the documentary Flaca Alejandra Lives and Deaths of a Chilean Woman. In contrast with the two other chapters where I analyze fictional representations of betrayal, here I develop specific modes of understanding the real experience of betrayal through these two biographical works. Witnessing and thinking on the extreme experience suffered by Merino allows me, on the one hand, to interrogate the nature of human suffering, while, on the other, verify that her experience was not isolated, but was part of a machinery that served as a means to produce subjection in countless human bodies. In so doing, the state defended and perpetuated the economic logic of capitalism. In my reading of her testimony, Elizabeth Jalin's concept of memory as a work or as an operación para dar sentido al pasado becomes essential. It is not something given and static memory. Memory is not something given and static that needs to be recovered, but a process that actively elaborates on experience silences, forgetting, and aporias of the history of violence. As I verify, despite her public resonance, the minimal critical reception and reading of her voice is striking. The few academic works that have been produced tend to go in two directions. A historical reading of her collaboration, collaboration it is always quoted in her testimony, and or moral judgments in which she is sexualized and condemned, erasing her condition as a victim. The work that I propose is different from these two tendencies as it carries out a detailed reading of her textual and cinematographic traces. I base my reading on the concept of devastation proposed by J.M. Bernstein, who understands torture and rape as that which damages the connection that exists between the voluntary body and the involuntary body, between the body that I have, that I see, that I control, and the body that I am and that goes beyond my will. Through rape and torture, says Bernstein, The effort of the perpetrator is to dispossess the self of its voluntary body, to appropriate the individuality and agency of the other and leave him or her alone with the body that she has, with her passive, naked, penetrable body. Along with this, I rely on the concept of subjection elaborated by Judith Butler as the process of becoming subordinated by power as well as the process of becoming a subject, where the subject, in this case, is the traitor. The different traces that can be read as the manifestation of this consistent, consistent exploitation of the moral ontology of the body are variations on the time of the narration, the different connotations of the idea of truth, the difficulties in remembering and registering reality in, in an accurate way, the use of quotation marks to questions the degree of will in the action, and the use of bold characters. In the second part of this chapter, I analyze a supposed ethical neutrality proposed by several academics and by the director herself in Carmen Castillo's documentary. But some of the cinematographic strategies used by the documentary filmmaker are the interrogation, the reconstruction of the scene, and the recognition of subjects through photographs. In my reading, the film reproduces consciously or unconsciously 
some of the methods used by the repressive apparatus. A main purpose of this chapter is to ask what are the terms and strategies in which memory is being negotiated to understand the experience of the victims. Here are scenes of the documentary. As you can see, she, she's, she's, she's interviewed by the filmmaker and while she's showing her images of the people uh, to whom she, she was uh, detained and after she participated with, the, these are uh, part of the, of the apparatus system. Um, and the filmmaker to our right? No, that's uh, Flaca Alejandra, that's oh. Marcia Merino. Okay. She's, the, she's the symbol of, of betrayal. She's, um, mm -hmm. No, I meant the male figure. Male figure yeah. is, no, he is a, a, an agent from oh. the state. Okay. Mm -hmm. So she, the filmmaker was asking her, do you recognize this guy? Who is this guy? Mm -hmm. And that's a, a part of the of the text, so you can see there's bold characters and quotation marks, and that's the first chapter. <clears throat> so the second chapter is on Perramos, that is the, the graphic novel. In the first few pages, through a sequence of dark black and white frames, the protagonist of this graphic novel is seen abandoning his former comrades to escape. But betrayal in this comic is also the opening of, of a series of events that will allow a critical and non-binary understanding of the past, memory, history, and destiny. In my reading from different elaborations on betrayal, adventure in this comic is redefined by change in the idea of peripeteia or event, in the location of the adventure and the ideas of hero and enemy. I outline the, his the history of the historietas, that is comic script or graphic novel in Spanish, and explain how a change in the audience and the format in the comic industry at a global level have an impact on the very idea of adventure. Then I carry out a comparative work with the main works of H.G. Osterhell, the author of the Eternaut, who was assassinated along with his four daughters during the Argentinian dictatorship. Osterheld and his work have a key importance in the structural and argumentative composition of the realm. To think about memory and the meaning of the realm, I, ha I have made a turn to his work whose references come widely as a character. Oh, 
that I could do nothing else, the period of the catacombs. It was productive in the sense that I wrote a lot, even though I had the certainty of not being able to publish. I remember I wrote a sort of a play about the disappeared, Dialogues of the Disappeared. It was Andres Florid who recovered the text from the archive of Andrea Lin, the author's daughter. So the book that you see was published in 2018 and it is based on the uh, typewriter manuscript. So the, I had the access of the of the of the note in the to the notebook. What Lin states about writing with the certainty of not being able to publish said work along with the with Florid's hypothesis that he didn't finish the play because of the same reasons are relevant when thinking about the play in itself, in the context of its production and its ethical and political implications. Considering Ling's remarkable poetic trajectory, he's a well-known poet and he's beloved by, at least by my generation. One of the first questions that comes to mind is, was this play written to be read or to be staged? The play consists of four dialogues whose characters are people that were disappeared in the context of Chilean dictatorship. Lin wrote other plays that were staged during and after the dictatorship, the first one in 1984, all of them, all of them with an evident political content, content. But unlike the dialogues, They use a language of parody that allowed the works to evade censorship and the author to avoid political persecution. Though the principal characters are specters, dialogues is not a work, a work in which figurative language predominates. That is to say, the specters are not metaphorical, but represent people that once detained ceased to have a civil existence. As Florid states, In these dialogues, the issue of the disappeared is approached without euphemism and in real time, according to later revealed information on torture, clandestine executions, and forced disappearance of people. Dialogue and di dialectics are, in Lin's dramatic discourse, inseparable. As a staging of the discourse, the dialogue is the place to express the contradiction, as well as the place to experience crisis. And even though the dialogue between two voices in contradiction is a mean to find a truth, according to the Platonic dialectic, or a synthesis, according to the Hegelian dialectic, The dialogue here serves as a procedure to recognize that the world is constituted in first instance by heterogeneous elements that resist being reduced to concepts, fixed categories or dogmas. Theodore Adorno's proposals on negativity and the principle of non-identity in dialectic serve as a counterpoint to think about Lin's dialogues. The dialogues, like a good part of Lin's poetic production, share with the Platonic and Aristotelian tradition the development of an art of discussion. But seeking to remove false or problematic premises is eminently negative. On the one hand, there is no interlocutor who plays a preponderant role over the other, but also each side is constituted by internal discrepancies. Adorno, building his argument on a critique to Hegelian dialectics, explained that whatever happens to come into dialectical meal will be reduced to the merely logical form of contradiction, 
and that, an argument still advanced by Croce, the full diversity of non-contradictory of that which is simply differentiated will be ignored. With this, all the diversity, all the diversity or variety in experience will be reduced to an identity that ends up being positive, that is, to an identity that is a false reduction of a multiplicity that is not necessarily concluded. Negative dialectics for Adorno is the consistent sense of non-identity. In a similar vein, Lean says in his poem Beata Beatrix, here it is, oh, where it is, did I lose it? There it is. There it is, a piece of the, of the poem. That the exact expression will be the most absurd of all for not having been discarded like all the others. Referring to the impulse of language to reduce and obviate that which does not contribute to the identity of the concept, that mold of preconceptions that ends up emptying language of the, diverg of the divergences of reality. As in Adorno's dialectic, in Lin's aesthetic project, negativity is a start point and not the point of arrival. Drama is where thought can stop, and in this stopping lies the negative seed. To expose the antagonism, one must think in contradiction. The traitor, or the one that betrayed and the disappeared in this work, are not conclusive units, that is, they are not quote-unquote figures, identical to themselves. My argument is that both the disappeared and the traitor in Lin's poetics defy a mystifying a redu and reductionist tendency of the identity models of the left in the Southern Code. These identity models are the result of a very complex ideological framework and are crossed by convictions, political reasons and affects that articulate nucleus or nuclei of identity. I analyze how Lin's work questions the narrative crystallizations in symbols and figures generated by, by said identity models. I will go yeah. First dialogue. So there is four dialogues. First dialogue. The first dialogue centers on a conversation between a priest and a desaparecido, a disappeared. Guillermo, Juan Guillermo Alcalde, who appears to convince the priest that his name must be removed from the list of the detained and disappeared, for, in his words, quote, the cause of the disappeared with my name will lose that edifying air that you all give, given in it given it. When it is known that one of the victims put the executioners on the trail of so, so many others, because of me, so many desaparecidos disappeared. The desaparecido, through torture, give up names. That is to say, his betrayal discredits him as a desaparecido. Based on Bertrand, Bertrand Russell's ideas on cynicism in modernity, I state that Alcalde, despite defending the revolutionary militant code, is not, quote-unquote, filled with ardent beliefs, but pretends to be to refute the priest's arguments. I propose that being, quote, broken and not just having been defeated, is what dismantles the ideological framework in which these ardent beliefs are possible. The cynicism or ironic tone of Alcalde can be seen in almost all his interventions in the dialogue. In the reference that uplifting air that the history of the disappeared should have or his constant paraphrases to what the priest says. Despite the eloquence and charisma of the priest and his ethic that seems 
uh, to be irre irrefutable, Alcalde questions his moral truth regarding the victims. Alcalde argues that even though the Catholic Church states that torture cannot be edifying, it has used it to catechize its parishioners. Um, says um, Alcalde, Jesus Christ was tortured and then the holy martyrs. Does the church owe nothing to torture? Questioning the Catholic assumption that human suffering is a dignifying and educational act contradicts the priest's defense and directly draws attention to the dissociation between religious discourse and practice. With this, in addition, Alcalde puts torture at the center of Western and Catholic history. Second dialogue. There are many ghosts in Lin's poetry. Every apparition of a ghost in his poetry implies a new reflection on the temporal and ontological paradoxes of reality, memory, and language. With their dystopia, that being and not, not being there, ghosts messed up and reorder the chronological assumption that times goes from past to future and questions ontological assumptions of absence and presence. In this chapter, I look into Lin's poetry to better understand the implications of the ghost in the play. I look into Lin's poetry to better understand in this play. In the poem Beata Beatrix, that I would love to have more time to read it all because it is just wonderful, he refers to the verdaderos muertos, true dead people, that are much more respectable because they remain entire invisible in the closed abyss of the body. As an opposite, there appears the ghost of a woman that exhibits her absence in the form of her disappearance, exhibe su ausencia en forma de su desaparición. <clears throat> According to the poem, true dead people are the complete opposite of this kind of scandal, a door that yields to materializations, una puerta que cede a las materializaciones. In the second dialogue, there are three, so, and this poem is from 74. Mm -hmm. So right after the coup. It is not casual to that he's talking about ghost. In the second dialogue, there are three characters, the ghost of a disappeared son and his parents. While the father, who is the one who sees the son, implores him to leave us alone, that is to disappear, the mother is the one who insists that they should not accept his death because that would mean giving up his presence. The way in which Lin anticipates a discussion that would later be at the heart of the struggle of the mothers of the mothers of the Plaza de Mayo and also of their division is striking. Founded in 1977, the Madres are a group that was organized to publicly denounce the forced disappearance of their sons and daughters at the hands of the Argentine military. Over the years, the internal differences of this, organizations, of this organization led to a definite fracture in 1985, among other things due differing, dif differing ideas related to the search for the remains of the disappeared. Eve de Bonafini, the spokesperson for the most radical wing, wing of mothers, created the slogan of appearance with life, aparición con vida. That is the one that you can see at the background of the, of the photo. Aparición con vida, rejecting the death of the disappeared. This dialogue, the second one, provoke a change of perspective in this same direction. The father seems to have a linear vision of time in which death belong or should belong to past that must be left behind. 
The search for the body of the disappeared, says the mother of the dialogos, is equivalent to the persecution of the disappeared, which is even worse than the murder of her son itself. The disappeared are stuck in the present, and in so doing, they intervene in the future. As Derrida says, the specter, quote, is the future. It is always to come. It presents itself only as that which would, could come or come back. The third dialogue. Third dialogue is between a desaparecido, Julio, that returns to speak with his wife, Ophelia, to warn her that they will soon find his body and she will end up unoccupied or more precisely unemployed, cesante. At the end of the dialogue, a neighbor arrives to inform her that the body of her husband was found along with the remains of some soldiers and that he was assassinated by his own comrades, other desaparecidos, having been accused of betrayal. There are elements in both Julio, Julio is the disappeared, Ophelia is the wife of the disappeared, that differ with the image or concept that traditionally delimit what is or should be a disappeared and a wife of a disappeared. There is the possibility that Julio's militant comrades killed him thinking that he was a traitor. It could also be that he was indeed a traitor, or there exists a third possibility that his fellow militants did not concern themselves with his betrayal as their intent was to kill the soldiers with whom he was found. I propose that what is being questioned in this dialogue is not whether Julio betrayed or not, but that the very suspicion of betrayal complicates or contaminates the vision of said violence. Alcalde serves as the, in, in, if, if in the first dialogue, Alcalde serves as the destabilizing force in the first dialogue, it is Ophelia, very much alive, who disrupts the image of the desaparecido's wife dedicated to her widowhood and the memory of her deceased spouse. Julio thinks that his wife is still in the process of looking for his corpse, fueled by the hatred that caused his disappearance. However, Ophelia defies such a simple characterization, putting herself in the center in the spotlight, if you will, with her theatrical analogy. And here's the quote. That depends on the amount of suffering that each one gets in the cast. During the treatment I received, a guy told me, we are going to leave you useless for any man. And he kept his work, his word, I think. There is an obvious implication of horrendous sexual violence in the torturer's remark, but it, but it also highlights what would become the almost mythical representation of the wife left behind by a desaparecido, who lives only to search for her husband, a way to continue being, quote, useful in some way. Women continue to be there for the other, Un ser para el otro. And here I use Gustavo Figueroa's reading on Ophelia's madness in Hamlet. The connections to Shakespeare's play are no coincidence. From the character's name and the relationship of the women to men, this being for the other, as in the cases of Ophelia, the pivotal role of betrayal in the plot, in the plot of each work, and finally, the ghosts that haunt those left behind. And here the fourth dialogue. In the fourth dialogue, the disappeared is a victim of torture that returns to confront her torturer. This dialogue is the most violent for it not only relates in detail the experience of rape and torture suffered by women, but also stages a brutal scene of vengeance. 
The desaparecida takes advantage of the confusion of her torturer upon seeing her as a ghost to compel the man quite patiently to inflict upon his own wife that which his victims had suffered. The torturer's wife cannot see the specter and so the tortured woman takes advantage of the man's confusion to drive him crazy. She tells him that his room is a torture chamber, his bed an electric grill, and, and psychologically torments her killer. Her objective in the end is to produce a division, a rupture between the torturer and his wife. The spectre begins as a verbal harassment that in the end reproduces the effects of torture on a tortured body, but this time with her killer as a victim. In this dialogue, I analyze victim, quote unquote, of course. In this dialogue, I analyze the staging of torture in the light of Diane Taylor's disappearing acts and the rhetoric that the spectre uses to quote, drive her torturer mad, or sacarlo de sí, as paraphrasing, interrupting, calling attention to the empty language of power, or as Lynn calls it, chachara, chatter, which in this case refers to the military language that defends a code of honor related to country and family. And here it is the example. It is a little bit difficult to understand it here, but imagine this scene in which these two women are talking to this man, one of the women, that it is the wife of the torturer, cannot listen the desaparecida. Mm -hmm. So, wife, you made love to me, torture woman, applications of electric current. Wife, I know that the excitement wanes with marriage, but not like this. She's, like, she's compelling him to tell her why he doesn't feel more desire for her. I know that excitement wanes with marriage, but not like this, four hours in the vagina. In such a short time, it can be that I, taking care of the dogs, their training, am I done? And here, that was difficult for to me to translate. Estoy acabada, one could possibly translate as used up. Mm -hmm. Acts of sodomy. In this brief dialogue, one can see a marked presence of the female voice that contrasts with the torturer's insistence on silencing both women. Both women. As you can see, there is a change in the role of the torturer, the one who regularly speaks to make his victim speak or deliver. But neither is female agency installed as a positive force that restores a former justice. The revenge of the specter challenges a possible gender solidarity and also questions the position of the victim of the wife toward that of a beneficiary of the violence. The torturer says to his wife, I am a torturer, what's wrong with that? You knew it very well. So the change in the roles is not an inversion. It is a modification that makes the concepts uncomfortable, that of the torture that of the torturer and that of the wife. We have seen in Lynn's negative dialectic the incorporation of those discrepant elements or anomalies in the narrative of violence. The torturer's wife, when her husband confesses that he is a torturer, uses exactly the same words as Ophelia when she knows that her husband will be accused of collaborating. Something happened here. Right, there it is. So in two dialogues, we have this same sentence. I don't understand. I understand too well. I would prefer not to understand. In Ophelia's words and in the torturer's wife's words. This repetition is not accidental, and therein lies the key to a dialectical movement. 
the paradoxical movement between not understanding, understanding and preferring mm -hmm. not to understand is a movement that starts from negativity on only one side sides of the terms. At the end of this research, I summarized some of the ethical implications of the appearance of the ghost in the and the traitor with the idea of spectrology of Jacques Derrida and that of Lean. Very similar to the way in which Lean thinks of language, Derrida argues that concepts preserve an opposition between being the, simulacru, the simulacrum of something and that something outside of the concept, which is the phenomenon, phenomenon or the thing in itself. Says Derrida, to hunt does not mean to be present and it is necessary to introduce hunting into the very construction of a concept, of every concept, beginning with the concepts of being and time. That is what we would be calling here ontology. Both Lean and Derrida, based on ghosts that cannot but appear in their disappearance, criticize any idealization, abstraction, ideologization or fetishization produced in language. Striping the disappeared and the traitor of their symbolization, trivializing them in some ways, means situating them, giving them voice and a proper name. In the dialogues, there is the emergence of a breath, the vital breath that the disappeared take back, that door that yields to materializations. It is also the confirmation of a fatality, of the limit of bodies and of words. Bodies have a limit and justice has a limit. Or even justice is impossible, at least in the present. But Lin's poetry works like a conjure, not to exorcise ghosts and traitors, but to name them, to promise, to decide, and with this to transform reality. This transforming power of the world becomes a political power. In the dialogues in particular, language, language accounts and holds accountable. And if justice is impossible in the present, it is because there is justice that is, that is irreductible, irreducible, to any revenge or any punishment or that is beyond any system of restitution. As sons and daughters of defeat and the defeated, his hairs, we must ask him his secret to see if we can hear it. Thank you. Questions? Well, it's interesting how you posit this because the the disappeared, of course, raise the ontological and, of course, the verbal problem of the presence of absence mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the absence of presence. They are linked mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. So there is nothing, um, and Derrida here is, I think, uh, Having a little bit of wordplay with his last sentence, he says, that is what we would be calling here a ontology. And of course, he's playing with the concept of ontology. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so, yes. So, yes, the disappeared, I think, in this narrative in Argentina and Chile, uh, raises the uh, specter of this massive presence of people who are no longer present. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Their absence is the question. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes a problem, not just for the regime, mm -hmm. but also for the relatives and uh, obviously for the people who have disappeared, mm -hmm. so to speak. Disappeared, I think, in many cases would be considered a euphemism in mm -hmm. this respect. Mm -hmm. So I guess I would ask you uh, 
um, since you didn't really approach this question, how, if it is true that this narrative was different in Argentina or Chile, or was it the same or not the same? Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for your question. It is a difficult question that actually I ask to myself and I research a little bit on this too. So, of course, there is something in common. No? The, that's why I also push up this, this parallel study because mm -hmm. there are a lot of similarities, um, as you know, mm -hmm. and as all you know, this is part of a bigger project no? that work in many, many countries in Latin America. But there are there are big differences, and one that I can see that I found out it was that even though in Ch in the Chilean history of the family of the disappeared people were discrepancies, there was never this really big um, rupture in the movement. So the the la agrupación de detenidos desaparecidos, the fa the family of the detained and disappeared. They, they work as a blog. And, and if you go there, so there are not too many publications also, like in regards to their history or, and also like the, their trajectory, but different studies from people from outside. Uh, I interviewed some, fam some people that work inside of the organization. And what you, uh, what you can see from an outsider of the organization is that, that they, they, are, they are really, they work together. So... If they have, if they have differences, they keep by themselves. No, so the approach that they have in Chile it is to found the the corpses. That's their main work. They they don't have nothing similar to the Argentina uh, radical uh, fraction of the madres. Disaparición con vida. This is not something that happened in Chile. So that that's something really amazing to find this discourse in Lean because this this was something that I didn't hear before in Chile and it is much before than what happened in so this is from 78 and in 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 in, in 84 start the fracture in the in the in the in the organization of the of the madres and then in Argentina there is a whole fracture so it is like really a big rupture I saw some images of the people that were with Eve de Bonafini, that it is this radical group that were uh, uh, throwing bones to the other uh, members of the of the of the organization. So it is a really horrible discrepancies that they have, and it is yeah political and and. But as you said, there is something ontological too. Mm -hmm. So as they say, they are not dead, not because they don't think that they were not killed, assassinated. Mm -hmm. They are not dead because they appear in their disappearance, as Lynn says. Mm -hmm. So they are here as desaparecidos. And if you start looking for their corpses, mm -hmm. you will start persecuting the desaparecidos, that is worse than mm -hmm. killing them. Mm -hmm. So it is pretty similar, the, 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 the perspective that this really radical uh, side of the Madres has with the view of, of Lin. I think that it is, it is striking, yeah. And, and also you can find, sorry, you can find a lot of us as I, I really wanted to bring some of Lin's poetry be, because it is not just in the, in the dialogues. The whole poetry of Lin is full of ghosts. Uh, he has been working all the time with the, with the idea of the ghost and how, this, uh, how the ghost uh, bring these discrepancies, ontological discrepancies. And, mm. mm -hmm. Yes, well, you can tell truths in poetry which are not possible in prose. So. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, thanks so much for this um, both very heavy and very important work. It's not easy to do, so um, that's beautiful. Thank you. 
Um, and congratulations on getting your hands on the manuscript mm -hmm. at the Getty and <laughs> identifying the date of, of, of <laughs> writing. That is amazing. That's such an incredible contribution. So I just want to know more about the manuscript, whether you compared it to the TypeScript and what you noticed or what other elements besides the actual date mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, were you able to find out and perhaps just what, what that moment was for you. <laughs> you know, I just thought we live for those, right? Yeah. And, and, and I just, I love that you, you have that. That's just beautiful. So I went, when I went to the archives of Lean, it was because I was working with this friend that published this, the uh, Overall Editorial, that also published one of my short stories books. <laughs> And because they were working on Lin's a really big volume on B on Lin's, um, yeah, posthumous works than uh, unpublished, and so I went and of course when I found this like I I I copied, but I was working on this uh, what que nos ha dado por Kafka that's the volume that I work um, uh, collecting, but I didn't have too much time to make a close reading. The only thing that I, I made sure it was that the manuscript was close to enough with the handbook. So it was pretty much the same. There was not too much. And if you if you can see, I put right, some of the yeah the background. Yeah. Of, I just for <laughs> so yeah, all these are pages of the of the dialogues. Um. The thing that I noticed, uh, besides the date that I I just saw it like three days ago when I wrote Ceci, like, I can't believe it. And I was writing all this, I saying, yeah, it is impossible to know when he wrote this. And sometimes it is not that relevant, but in this case it is. Because there are specific dates, for example, when they found, when it was public, first remain, uh, first corpses that they found. No, so in this Longken uh, mine, there they found in '78 actually, but it was before. Now I now I understand. It. So Longken appears at the end of the of the notebook. So it was after the Longken uh, Ayasco. How did you say Ayasco? The find. Well, the the major difference that I found four dialogues are the same. I know that he typewrited. So he made the decisions, but there's a, another one, an extra dialogue in the notebook that it is about a journalist and a uh, judge in a courtroom. So yeah, maybe in the future, <laughs> that's another project. Why, why, didn't, why wasn't that published? He decided not to do it. I think it is really rounded. I I have some discrepancies with Florid. I think as I I I take a long time in the in the in, the, in this chapter, thinking why this not conclusion. I think it is part of a whole static, and it is not because he didn't want to, or there was not enough time, or because he didn't want it to publish. He was pretty aware that. He kept all his manuscripts and all his stuff, knowing that, for example, with in regards to the letters that I took photographs, he kept, so when he wrote a letter to someone, he got a copy of it. So you can have both sides of letters. So he was really aware of that what he was doing will be read in the future. No, so this, the, the dialogue is, I think it is, it is a whole piece. It is not unconcluded. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but there's a, another project there, I think. I have a question about form. So each chapter looks at a different literary form. Mm -hmm. The first is biographical, the second is a, a graphic novel, and the third is the dialogues of play. Mm -hmm. And it, it's quite clear from the account that you gave of the third chapter, which is on dialectic, of betrayal, why a dialogue would be the suitable form for that. Mm -hmm. Can you say something about why a biographical narratives are appropriate for a chapter on the ontology of betrayal and why a graphic novel is appropriate for a chapter on the epistemology of betrayal? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, yeah, why ontology? First, I, I 
those are really big words. <laughs> <laughs> Ontology is something that, and, and also like Derrida and mm-hmm. the same Lean are kind of criticizing ontology. So mm-hmm. I was really insecure about naming this ontology. But it, it is more like humbly, it was more a project about trying to really understand what happened to a body that is tortured and raped. Like, the, the, el ser de la tortura. So it is not like a big project about going deep what to, to shape the circle of what it means, but more like listen and try to read uh, with close eyes what does it mean to be that kind of victim. And that's why I call it ontology. And also because I work with this uh, J.M. Bernstein work that works on the moral ontology of the body. So so thinking on that too, it is like a really a, an honest approach to of empathy. That 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 that's what I can say in regards on, on ontology. But I'm aware that it is a really complicated term. These days, these this, the constructive days <laughs> to talk about ontology, it seems to be really like pretentious. But it is not that. It is the opposite actually. And and about the epistemology, it is you know the 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 graphic novel itself so it speaks about it it speaks about knowledge so it is it is as you can or the, if you can see the book it is just about um uh, it is an adventure an adventure that so and i really like the 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 link in between adventure and epistemology <laughs> because it is a path through knowledge and it, it never, it, it is not that never ends, but it is always questioning about the ways that we know reality, the ways that we write history, the ways that we have memory, the ways that we forget. So the ways that, that, that we build knowledge. So that's why I thought that it was, and also because it sounds pretty fun and Pedro helped me finding this, this like, why not ontology epistemology and dialectics? <laughs> 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 a whole package <laughs> but it worked perfectly fine because it is that that's it it is not yeah it is not my idea it is more than the authors mm-hmm. and i i had the the privilege of of talk with sasturain and he told me like um because i was fascinated also i have to say this this was a big excuse to read graphic novels <laughs> no because it is i really wanted to work with graphic novels and he told me and this is wonderful graphic novel because there is borges there is osterhell there is like you can have a dialogue with the complete argentinian tradition on betrayal and it is so charge of elements and he told me yeah i know i put all the toda la carne a la parrilla all the meat to the grill there is every maybe it is too much yeah there's a lot of people that criticize the novel because of that but in my case it is just a pleasure yeah there's everything there (laughs) can can you say a little bit about i mean as a methodological challenge for you you're working with three different kinds of writing three different kinds of of materials. Is your method in each of these chapters different? Not because of the topics that you're interested in, but because of the materials that you're working with? No, you're right. So every chapter, that's why it is just three chapters in one text, each one, because I have that challenge. I need to situate the, the books on in, in the context of their genre. And of course, if they are talking about betrayal, it is about betrayal of memory too. Now, so the way of registering, I need to, I had to, I had to take longer space in order to situate these works and the way that they talk about that betrayal or that fidelity or that uh, game in between, yeah. Be, being part of a tradition or challenging the tradition, yeah, at least 
the first 20 pages of each chapter is about the genre. <laughs> <laughs> just want to say that her dissertation is really just read like a book. It's eight, each chapter is 80 to 100 pages, and it's, it's dense, it's thoroughly researched, mm -hmm. and it is a publishable book already. So. And you're not even a philosopher, right? Excuse me? But These are all, all your key terms are philosophical terms. But she has but you're been working with philosophy. I'm flirting <laughs> with <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> she's a really important philosopher from, uh, from France and Chile uh, who's actually coming, hopefully. We're, we're inviting her, um, called Aisha Messina, and she is fabulous and she has been a really pivotal in your mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, you know, work on philosophy. And yeah, even though I didn't work with the textbooks that she suggests. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I've been flirting with philosophy since a long time. And, and, I, I, and here I've been taking classes. I'm, I'm so glad to, to, to be a student here at the University of Oregon because I not only have these wonderful professors, but I've been working with, with uh, Daniela and, and, and yeah. Even though there's not Nietzsche here, I, there Nietzsche is there <laughs> in my readings, and and yeah, and Rocio Zambrana, she was part of my committee before she left, and yeah, for example, she uh, she suggested to work with with Bernstein mm -hmm. book on on the ontology of, of moral ontology. Yeah, so thank you again. Yeah, there is a. I try not to take too much time in my research in this like history of because I as you can see I focus my research on betrayal in betrayal after suffering after torture mm -hmm. so it is precisely that same line that you're mentioning as this institutional betrayal if I understood the link that has truth, confession, torture you know all these that are at the center of the idea of truth in Western uh, culture, uh, there has been wonderful research on the, in this topic. Um, so, I well, think... I was mostly interested in, in what happened in, mm -hmm, in, in what, in Chile and mm -hmm, Argentina. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What happened, I, yeah, I cannot talk about the whole history of, of mm. religion in Chile and Argentina from, yeah. from, from the... From the conquest, but in, in the particular case of of the of the dictatorships, mm -hmm. what I can say it is that at least in Chile and Argentina, uh, the the church play a, an, um, an incredible role in defending human rights in being part of that side that side of the coin actually, even though you have this really far uh, right wing uh, uh, institution. Uh, like the Opus Dei, how they mm -hmm. operate in Chile until this day. Mm -hmm. For example, they are in charge of deciding who is going to be the the obispo. How you say that? Bishop. Bishop. The bishop. Mm -hmm. Even though you have that during the dictatorship in Chile and Argentina, you have this this uh, Cardenal uh, Raúl Silva Enríquez or, or, or another priest in Argentina, where the, that was the place where you could hide. So they actually build these all the whole archives of the of the not, and and there's an interesting uh, uh, relationship there with confession because it is not to give your testimony the relationship in between testimony and confession the family of so if you had a, a disappear in your family first thing to do it would it, it would be to go to the Vicaria de la Solidaridad that it it was. It was in hands of the church. So what is happening in the dialogues, it is that we had this really uh, idealistic idea on the role of the church uh, in defending human rights. Mm -hmm. uh, that it is not my, my, my point to deny it, that how helpful was it. Mm -hmm. But Lynn is pointing out to all the discrepancies that are within the same church as having in the center a tortured body. <laughs> so while they are defending uh, the victims of torture, they are promoting 
that kind of sacrifice, that the, the idea of the victim as something edifying, as something educational. So mm-hmm. I, I, I really like Lean in this sense because he's bringing all these, these discrepancies that are within every symbol or every mm-hmm. emblem. Mm-hmm. Yes, so he implicates without necessarily indicting. They were. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Until this day, mm-hmm. they have their archives, and mm-hmm. they, they. Yeah. Yeah. It's Absolutely. And the poem himself is Argentinian, and he mm-hmm. was very involved on both sides. Uh huh. Yes. Uh-huh. So a betrayer, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. as well as a collaborator uh-huh. of the people mm-hmm. being tortured. So it's mm-hmm. a kind mm-hmm. of difficult place to navigate when you're looking uh-huh. through a dictatorship, mm-hmm. as you demonstrated. Mm-hmm. In your work, you know how hard it is to really continue the uh, commitment, right, with human rights mm-hmm. in the face of the erasure mm-hmm. of guarantees and human rights. Mm-hmm. How much of a betrayer do you become when you're trying to salvage your life, even? Right? Mm-hmm. And, so mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's very, very and when, when, when also something that happened with Marcia Merino, for example, mm-hmm. when you don't belong anymore to any place. You are not in any place. Right. You are not in any side. It is not that you cross a line to be part of the other side. No, you are not part of the other side, nor of this side. So she's, the, be, she's the betrayer who, who feels also betrayed. Mm-hmm. betrayed Absolutely. In every sense of the word. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so that mm-hmm. lends her to her own betrayal of mm-hmm, everything because mm-hmm. there's nothing to believe mm-hmm, anymore. Mm-hmm, <laughs> plus... You know, this sense of self when you've totally, as you've proven your dissertation so well, you, you've been tortured so badly, you lose who you are. Mm-hmm. So you're absolutely broken and there's like the book. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm.